First Samuel chapter 6, verse 20. I leave with you tonight. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go up from us? I consider with you these questions of the men of Beth Shemesh. There are actually two questions here. And these questions show us that the men of Beth Shemesh have learned some things about God. They probably knew these things about God already in their head. But now in their heart they are persuaded concerning them. They really know now God. They really have experienced him. It's true that we can know things about the Lord in our intellect, but it causes no emotion. It sometimes causes no change. It gets little reaction. You see a terrible providence in your life, and somehow that shakes you, gives you a realization of God. These people, they've just been farming, going on with their normal life, but divine providence has powerfully broken upon them and multitudes are dead around them and they know it is the hand of the Lord. They are feeling that. They're persuaded of that. They don't have any doubt about it. They know God has done it. They know God's hand has intervened. They know why his hand has intervened because of their folly in looking into the ark of the Lord. And so they sense God's power in that awful providence that has shaken them to the core. Providence can make mighty impressions and ought to do so. Disasters, deaths, sicknesses, healings, deliverances even. We ought to say whenever such things remarkably occur, It is the Lord. It is the Lord. And I'm sure we've all had moments like that. And we stood in awe and just said, this is God. Well, Bethlehemish has had such a visitation. And in these questions that they ask, these two questions, we can see that the Lord looms great before their mind. There are three things that show that. First of all, the word this. Who is able to stand before this? Holy Lord God. They sense his presence. This. He's here. They don't just say before the Lord God. They say before this. He's here. It's not just our God. He's not just the God. He's this God. The God who has done this. And all these slain are lying around here in his holy presence. This God. So they're very conscious of his presence. Nobody has to say what Lord. Everybody knows this Lord. You know what you're talking about. You know given directions. You, 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 you go out the gate. And everybody say well what gate. 
But if you're just there beside it, you say, you go out this gate. This gate. That's, that's the way they sense this, this for God. He's not distant. He's not unknown and concealed. He's very visible to them. This Lord God. We're thinking about the fact that God looms deep in their consciousness. And the fact that they say Jehovah God. They know that Jehovah is God. This Jehovah God. Do you see how they double the name? That doesn't happen often in Samuel. And every time it does happen, you have to pause and take note. As we're doing tonight, we can't can't bypass this first verse. There's a doubling of the name of God. The Lord wants us to pause and take our shoes off and to reflect on this. He's the Lord God. This Jehovah God. They emphasize the Lord's name. And they give special reverence to God. Thus referred to. They have special sense of his majesty. Jehovah God. The first time this is used is in Genesis. And it's after the creation. And the six days are complete. And everything has been made. And Moses reminds us. It was the Lord God. Who made the heavens and the earth. He was struck by the creation. The Lord God. And these people are struck by the slaughter. The Lord God. This providence declares his majesty. His greatness. It reminds me of Israel on Mount Carmel. You remember whenever the fire came down. And the the Lord consumed the sacrifice with the fire from heaven. And the wood and the stones. And even the dust and the water was all licked up. And the people saw it and they fell on their faces and they said, Jehovah, he is the God. Jehovah, he is the God. And it's, it's, it's like that with these people in Bethlehem. Jehovah, he's the God. He's a living God. So they, they feel now that the Lord is, is full of majesty, that he, he rules and reigns. He does according to his will and there's none can help us harm. Or even question what he does. This Jehovah God. And then you will observe that there is something about the Lord that especially strikes them. What does the question say? Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? That strikes them. That's the thing that captivates their mind. That's the thing that terrifies them. They've seen something of his holiness. They could have said, mighty Lord God, and and they know that. He's powerful, powerful Lord God. Fearful Lord God, dreadful Lord God. Sovereign, majestic Lord God. All of that they believe and are assured of. But it is this word that they use. Holy. Holy Lord God. They, They feel that more than anything, I think. By saying that, they feel now what Hannah sung. Do you remember Hannah had already said this when she sung at the tabernacle? Whenever the ark was there present, 
But she seemed to be the only one who believed it. She said, there's none as holy as the Jehovah. There's none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. He's a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. There's none holy like him. Now they know that. They believe that now. This is why the seraphim cover themselves and say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, Lord of hosts. They say it with gladness and rejoicing, the seraphim. But these Hebrews aren't saying it with rejoicing. They're saying it with lamentation. Because you can only cover yourselves and say it with rejoicing. But these persons have lifted the covering and there's no covering. And they've been exposed in the presence of a holy God. And they say, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God with with fear and terror and lamentation and dread? We're coming to the end of the art narrative. Hebrews chapter 4, 5 and 6. Samuel's been off the scene. He doesn't come onto the scene again to to the next chapter. Uh, And maybe we're asking, why is this three chapters given to this business? Three chapters to the ark. We want to get into Samuel. We want to see Samuel. We want to see the kings arising. And David arising and all of that. But why this mysterious wanderings and travelings of the ark of the covenant? Why is it in the Bible? And why is it so long the narrative about the ark? It is that we might go into Samuel Knowing our theology. You see this art narrative. Is really the picture and the outworking. Of what Hannah's son. Not holy as the Lord. Hannah had already sung it. She had declared it. And now God is displaying it. God is showing it. So we go into this book. And we're going to meet things that. Are going to seem incredible and. Would God do that? And would God allow that? But we're going to go into this book knowing he's holy. He's not to be questioned. He's to be feared. So we want to go into this book knowing about the Lord. And we don't really have theology telling us all about the Lord. It's not like the epistles of Paul. All the theology about God. No, it's it's stories about God. So that in the narrative, we may see who God is in the story. So we're learning about the Lord tonight, and especially that he is holy. That all that Hannah said is true. Hannah gave the theology, but now the art narrative gives a picture. Exalt the Lord, the Bible says, and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord God is is holy. Remember the Lord said, I am holy, therefore be you holy. So holiness is very important to God and very important in his people that they reflect that holiness. Now whenever God shows his holiness and we don't have a mediator, it strikes fear into us. It strikes fear into sinners, the holiness of God. Because we are so unholy, we're sinful. 
our reaction in the presence of God, and you see it everywhere in the Bible, whenever anybody, no matter who they are, are in the presence of God, there's dread and terror and fear. Even John, the Apostle John, who leaned on Jesus' breast, whenever he got a glimpse of the majesty of the glorified Christ, he fell at his feet as dead. There's a sense of fear at the holiness of God. It's like at Mount Sinai, whenever God came down and he gave the law and there were thunderings and lightnings. What was the people that they removed, they removed, stood afar off and they said unto Moses, Moses, speak you with us. But don't let God speak with us. He's too holy. Even the Bible says that so terrible was the sight of Sinai that even Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. And these are a fearing, quaking people, and they're saying, Oh, he's holy. He's so holy. Have we any idea of the holiness of God? Do we have any comprehension of it? Let us look further into the two questions then. We might say the first is a good question. Who's able to stand before this holy Lord God? And the second is, is not so good. The first question, first of all, is, is it good to inquire about standing before God? How can I stand before God? There's no more important question than that, really. That's a question that gets to the heart of the gospel. Who, who can stand before God? And how can I stand before God? So it's a, it's a brilliant question. They're going along the right lines here. In the first question, who, who is able to stand before him? This, this holy Lord God. Now the important words are stand before. Now of course in one sense this is something every one of us will have to do. Every one of us will have to stand before God. So it's not that there's going to be some that's going to and some that's not going to. No, and everybody has to do this. There's no escaping this. The Philistines who sent the ark away, they'll have to do it one day, stand before God. And the, the Beshemites who have died, they're going to have to stand before God. And these men who say this, and also us, all Israel and all the people of God, absolutely speaking, there's no getting away from God. Everyone's going to have to stand before him. He can't be sent away, you know, really. We'll all be called to stand before him. We're forgetting about the word able for a minute. Who's able? We're just thinking about standing before him. We all have to do that. So it's not a question of ability at the moment. I'm not thinking about our ability or inability. We're going to have to do it. Stand before God. In one sense, there's no ability to not stand before God. No escaping it. Remember how Paul said, Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? Oh, you're so good at criticizing others and putting them at naught, making them feel little. But we'll all stand before God. Before the judgment seat of God, the Bible says. And we'll all want to feel very little. So we don't need to make our brethren feel little, or others feel little, or look down on others. No, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. 
Remember how we saw in the book of the Revelation, the great white throne? I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Who's able to stand before him? The dead, the small and the great here, they're all standing before God. Snow escaping it. The books were opened, the book of life, and they were judged out of those things that were written in the books. Remember how the Lord Jesus said that before the Son of Man shall be gathered all the nations and he'll separate them one from another. They'll all stand before the Lord. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So we, we have to reflect on this often, congregation, but we never forget it. The Lord's reminding us about it tonight, this standing before him to give an account the deeds done in the body. Of course, these men of Bethshemesh are not denying the universal judgment. It's not a question of that. They're not saying we shall never appear before God. They know there's a judgment day. They know they shall. But they also know they shall not be able to stand before him. Though they must, for all must appear before him we can't stand before him, really. In the sense of his holiness, who can dwell in his presence of holiness without consequences because we're sinners, you see. So the sense is, who's able to abide in his presence as we are as sinners, the way we are? Who can abide in his presence? Who can dwell in his presence? Who can continue there without being punished, without dying, without being slain? Who can dwell with a consuming fire? Who can dwell with everlasting burnings? Who can abide in such presence? As sinners, the answer is, we cannot. Nobody can. These people have felt this. They felt exposed to God. They, they tried to stand before him. They lifted the lid up and they had a look in and they gathered all around. They tried to stand before him and they realized they were consumed. You can't. As you are, you can't. Who can abide the day of his coming? The Bible says. No one. The psalm says, Thou even thou art to be feared. And who may stand in thy seat when once thou art angry? Remember how we often sing the psalm, but like they are unto the chaff, which wind drives to and fro. In judgment therefore shall not stand, such as ungodly are, nor in the assembly of the just, Shall wicked men appear? No standing. When conscience is awakened, there is no abiding God's presence. And so when the realization of eternity comes and the appearing before God sinks in, what do we read that men do? Kings of the earth, the great men, the chief captains, the mighty men, every bondman, every free man, there's no difference. When the great God of glory appears, 
They tried to hide themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and cover us. And hide us from the face of him. For it is a day of wrath. And who shall be able to stand? They've lifted the very words of the men of Bethshemesh out. It's as if they knew that chapter. They say, oh cover us, hide us. It's the great day of his wrath. And who is able to stand? That's how these people of Bethshemesh feel. It's like the end of the world. 50,000 dead all around them. It's like the end of the world. Who's able to stand before him? It ought to make a mighty impression on us. So it's good to think about this congregation, to inquire about this, so as to look for an answer. So as to look for the gospel. So as to search for a way how we might stand before God. So the next question ought to be, how can I stand before God? That's a good question. That's the question they ought to have asked. Who's able to stand before this holy Lord God? How, how can I stand before him? That should have been the second question. But it wasn't. It's not the question they ask. If the first question was good, the second question is not good at all. It seems to imply about getting rid of God. To whom shall he go up from us? It's going to the other extreme. Send him away. We can't abide in his presence. So send him away. Let him go. Ask him to depart. So they're actually doing what the Philistines did. Isn't history being repeated here? The Philistines, they had their parliament together. Oh, this hand of God upon us. What will we do? Send him away. How will we send him away? And now the Hebrews are doing the very same thing, aren't they? This holy Lord God, who can stand before him? Who can we send him to? Who can we send him away to? So they just want to get, get away from God's hand. That's not the way to deal with things, congregation. To dismiss God. To put him out of your life and out of your mind. That's not the way to deal with things. Though that's how the world deals with things. Which is why they don't come to church. Why would they come to church? They're trying to put God out of their mind. They're trying to put God away. They're trying to keep him as distant as possible. So the church where the gospel is preached and where the holiness of God is declared, is the last place in the world that a sinner would come to be. The danger of the church is that somehow we water down the holiness of God and make it a user-friendly church so that the holiness of God and the reverence doesn't put them off. The church doesn't want to put off sinners, you see. Brethren and sisters, we need to be really careful what we do to get sinners into God's house. We can't lessen the holiness of God, nor the reverence and awe of our worship of Him. 
So they're like the people of Gadara, aren't they? The people of Gadara, they, they sense the power of God, the majesty of the Lord, the legion gone, the devil's gone, this man changed and transformed. Whenever they saw all of that, you know what the emotion was in them all? It was fear. They weren't rejoicing at the grace of God. They were afraid because they sensed holiness. And they besought Christ to depart, to go. For they were taken with great fear, the Bible says. That's what these people of Bethshemesh are like. Why are there two questions? They're both, they're both connected, really. But the second question is wrong. Now they are connected because the conjunction there is to be noted. Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God and to whom shall he go up from us? So they feel the need for someone. Do you see how they say, to whom? To whom shall he go up from us? Is there someone we can find? Is there a man we can find who we can send the ark to away? So they're looking for someone. We need to find someone. But not to find someone between us and the ark. So that we can stand before God. They want to find someone far away too. Where they can send the ark away off to as well. They don't want to come to God through a mediator. They want to send the ark away off to to a man who is not a mediator. That's wrong. To whom shall we go? How can we stand before God? We need a man. We need a person. They're along the right lines in that matter. We need a man. We need a person. We need someone. We need a mediator. So these people, they find someone and they send, they, they send to Kerjath Jerem and they look for them to come down and say, Fetch up the ark of the Lord. And so they bring it into the house of Abinadab, into the hill, and sanctified Eliezer his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So they find someone, Abinadab's house, and Abinadab's son to keep the ark. That's not the right response. The true response is not to send God away, but to find the one who can stand before him for us. After all, is not what the tabernacle taught. The Ark of the Covenant in, and this great high priest going in and out, wasn't it all there before him? As we've been seen in our studies in Hebrews, wasn't it all there before him? This is the way, a mediator, a great high priest between. And so we need a mediator. And that brings us to the true answer, doesn't it? There is one who can and does stand before this holy Lord God. Only one. It's not you. It's not me. We can't stand before him in ourselves. Who is able to stand? We belong to that group. But there is one who can stand, who does stand before God. 
David asked a similar question one time. He said, If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, who would stand? Who would stand? David asked the question. David thought about the question. David was challenged by the question, You're holy, Lord, and if you mark iniquities, who shall stand before thee? But he had an answer. There is forgiveness with thee. There is forgiveness with thee. That you may be feared. And that forgiveness is with God. Because Christ is with God. Christ stands before God. That forgiveness is wrapped up in a person. And the whole package of forgiveness is with God. Because there is this wonderful person who's able to stand before him on our behalf. And that's Jesus Christ. There is only one, the righteous Redeemer. If any man sin, we don't have to send God off packing. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's why he can stand, you see. He's the righteous. The sin bearer, but bore sin away, and he's the righteous one who stands in the presence of God. Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He, only one person, he, he that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. And that person is Jesus Christ. He. And we've seen this in our studies in Hebrews, haven't we? Christ the great high priest, the forerunner who has gone into the place for us to appear before God, to stand before God for his people. Didn't we see that he's the mediator of the covenant? He mediates everything for his people. He mediates for his people before God. He's the one in between. He's the one who stands there, who appears for us. And that's the only answer. And that's the only hope for sinners. And so there is standing. And the gospel is in this verse then, you see. Only they asked the wrong question the second time. To whom shall we go? Should have been the question. Not to whom shall God go. To whom shall we go? Christ. Christ. We can only stand before God in Christ. We can only stand before God through Christ. We can only stand before God behind Christ as our covering. We can only stand before God clothed with Christ. We can only stand before God under his garments of salvation. Covered by him. That's the only place we can stand before God. In Christ. Do you remember how Peter said. He said I have written briefly. Exhorting. And testifying. Coming near the end of his first epistle. This is the true grace of God. 
wherein we stand. This is how we stand in the true grace of God. There's no other standing, only the grace of God. Paul said, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. How do we stand? What do we stand upon? Where do we stand? We stand in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And we can stand there and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Imagine that. These poor blind people of Beshemish in ignorance and darkness. But now the life and immortality of the gospel has been manifest to us in Jesus Christ. And we know how we can stand before God. So we need our Savior Jesus Christ. And let us therefore keep on believing in him. Keep on trusting him. Let us never fall back to self-righteousness. Our works. Our appeasement. By our deeds. To somehow put ourselves in a position before God. No. Our only hope is Jesus Christ. Our only standing is the Redeemer. So keep on believing in Jesus. Keep on trusting in him and his grace. And he will give to you this Holy Spirit. And not only cause you to rejoice in the glory of God. But it will also make you holy. Even as he is holy. To his name be all praise and glory.